Welcome to Little Things First, the podcast where you get tips on the little things that make a big difference in education. Hi, Tracy. Hey, listen, today we, we got to address something that's happened this past week, and it is not a little thing that I'm no. sure is on everybody's mind because this is the, we are taping this the Saturday after um, the electoral count. And the Capitol riot, the Capitol riot. Right. And so there was just so much on the news and still continues to be on the news. And we recognize that we need to address this and talk about this. So we are lucky enough to snag uh, Robert Austin to come and share with us. And, And he has done a fabulous job of finding resources for teachers to talk with their students, but I'm also really wanting to talk with him about as leaders, how do we also support our teachers and staff during this time? Because it's it's been kind of a scary week in regards to looking at news and, um, you know, all, yeah. all that took place. So. I'm curious as to, like, you know, should teachers talk about it or should they? Yeah. Should they not? Right. You know, do, right. does it... I think a lot of teachers are a little nervous about right. bringing it up for fear right. that there are political differences right. and that it might... Do you just ignore it? Or... Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Okay, well, he said he'd talk with us. Let's give him a call. Okay, sounds good. Hey, good morning. Hey, Robert. Listen, we're taping right now, and we are so sure. grateful for you to jump into you know, our podcast uh, conversation today as we are reflecting on what's happened this past week. We just did a little kind of discussion about how it's been uncomfortable a little bit for some uh, school level, you know, people, teachers and, you know, leaders alike about should we talk about this or not? And what should we say? So I'm here with Jim Martin, who Hi, is Robert. my colleague. And uh, Hi, Jim. We, we're just so grateful that you are willing last minute to jump on a call with us so we can just go a little deeper and hopefully provide some guidance for people. Sure. Tell us yeah. a little bit about yourself first, because people don't know you, even though we're lucky to be in your circle. Right. No, it's wonderful to, to talk with you. I'm the humanities team coordinator for the State Board of Education. So my name is Robert Austin. I taught middle school for a number of years. Um, I've been lucky enough to have been now at the state for, gosh, almost 15 years. It's, it's one of those like, wow. when you see a Facebook memory and it reminds you <laughs> and you think it was a few years ago and then you're like, oh my gosh, it was nine years ago. So I actually love those Facebook memories because one of the things that it does is it reminds you just how short we traverse this little um, rock, um, three rocks from the sun. And the other thing that it reminds you is that in education, um, we just have little moments with students that sometimes can really transcend space and time. And... Um, students know when people are being authentic and students know when people are stepping up when they need to. And this is one of those moments when uh, students really need, first of all, need to be reassured. I mean, yeah. I think that for, for many folks who have ever been to the Capitol or who have um, seen photographs of 
presidents lying in state in the Capitol, or I mean, if you think about that kind of sacred temple, I mean, there's a reason why the Capitol is built like a like a temple. I mean, that mm-hmm. architecture really harkened back to these kind of sacred sacred spaces. I mean, they're not religious spaces necessarily, but they're sacred, and they're and and so I think that was those images of kind of the defilement of a sacred space was really troubling for a lot of students. And, and that's where, you know, teachers have to step in to first of all, be reassuring and help them understand that the, the concepts that at, at the heart of what makes us a, a Republic are still intact and that the, the Republic endures and the concepts of, um, among other things, of a safe, peaceful transition from one political administration to another is is just something we've held really dear. And yeah. it's so rare. I mean, there's so many places around the world that have never been able to really allow for that peaceful transition of power. I mean, when George Washington set that tradition of stepping back after two terms, um, that was that was pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. And even in, eight, I think it was in the 1840s, people were still marveling at, <laughs> you know, how people win and lose elections. And then there was this transition to the next, the next uh, administration. And they were marveling then. And, you know, we should marvel today about those kinds of um, real traditions that are, that bind us together. Yeah. Um, so what do so you say? I'm sorry. Didn't, yeah, didn't no, so what do you what do you say to students who about, you know about what happened? I mean, how do, how do you recommend those topics be brought up by teachers? You know, I think the first thing to help students understand is that what happened wasn't normal. And I think that they have to really understand that we, we operate with a certain set of rules. The rule of law in this country is what binds us together. We're many places around the world can harken back to some kind of uh, tribal identity or some kind of um, ethnic identity. And so you'll see Germanic tribes or Franco tribes or, you know, um, whether you're in Japan or Korea, there there are um, nationalities that are very tied to ethnicity, for example, or culture, or language. Um, and, and think about when you see the Olympics and you see the parade of nations coming in every mm. year and you can see here's here comes Japan and here comes Korea and here comes um, Spain. And then suddenly here comes the U.S. And it's this polyglot conglomeration of nations and peoples from all over the planet who have said, you know what, we believe in this concept of we the people, and we believe in this concept of um, something other than the kind of traditional things that have bound people together, like, a, you know, just looking at how, uh, what do we all look like, or mm-hmm. how, what language do we all speak, or what religion do we follow? Instead, it's, we follow this thing called the Constitution, and we all believe in and uphold the concepts that we're all created equal and that that language is, and those documents are what bind us together. 
So it's not normal to begin to place so much mistrust in the very thing that is has been created to bind us together. And I was really struck by um, Governor Cox's conversation that I heard uh, I heard him have with Doug Fabrizio on, on public radio, where he was really talking about the importance of trust in the institutions. Mm-hmm. And anytime you start um, just laying the groundwork of not even being able to trust the media yeah. or not being able to trust um, public health or not being able to trust elections or not being able to trust elected people or not being able to trust, well, my gosh, where does that end? And to be able to step back and help students understand that this is not normal, it's not normal. The norm is we figure out how to get along. We figure out how to have civil dialogue and disagreements. And I think that's really one of the things that I'm hoping we can focus on as we come out of this is helping um, reaffirm that it's okay to disagree. It's okay to have um, complete different opinions about, you know, politics or your favorite color or your your favorite food or whatever it is at whatever age level you know you're, when you're working with young people. But that how we resolve those disagreements doesn't have to be violent. And yeah. that, and that, for example, in elections there are winners and losers. My gosh, I mean, kids know that. Kids yeah. know that you not everybody wins a game. Somebody's got to lose. I mean, think about an election. There's always a winner and a loser. <laughs> yes. So why is that a surprise? And so part of our real responsibility is to is to think about how do we model those kinds of dialogues in our classrooms um, mm. in safe ways, you know, and in ways that allow students to explore what they're thinking, but then to also teach them how to back it up with evidence. Yeah. You know, when we th- when we talk about the work of history, you know, I, I don't think I ever really learned when I was in school that history and history education, that the definition of history isn't, well, here's what happened, you know. Mm-hmm. The definition of what a historian actually does is that they they make an argument about the past based on evidence. So they're they're going to be able to say, here's what I here's what I believe happened based on the evidence that we see. And, and that's why it's kind of funny when people talk about, well, that's revisionist history. I'm like, well, actually that's what historians do all the time is they're constantly revising based on new evidence. So as students come together and we, and we talk about some, some really hard topics or they, they have questions, we need to ground that conversation in evidence. Yeah. Now the hard part is, even the evidence is being called into question, yeah. right? right? That's what Tracy and, and I were discussing earlier is, you know, how do you have a, a, a debate when you can't even agree on the facts? Right. And, and we have to, we have to, you know, the Senate, for example, is, was designed as this space where things can kind of cool down. That the reason why there's two years, two year terms in the House, but six year terms in the Senate is that senators are able to deliberate and and think about issues and not not just um, spout off without really thinking things through and 
And that's what we all need to do is, is realize that, oh my gosh, you know, yes, we can feel very strongly about issues, but we have got to also believe and trust that there are objective, there, there are objective things that have occurred. I mean, think about in the past, there really was a Boston Tea Party. There really were people who threw tea in, and, and we celebrate that. As a matter of fact, as a nation, we celebrate this destruction of personal property as a great symbol of, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and the irony there is we, um, we also know that in that event, no one, no one alive today actually saw that happen. So how do we know that happened? We know that happened because of historians, of people who wrote things down, of of eyewitness accounts. And we have got to get to a point where people can believe in a certain set of objective facts. And part of the challenge is that we all have what's called confirmation bias. And that's really important for all of us to know. All of us are going to see an event occur and we're and and a good example would be if you know if somebody's on Facebook or on Instagram or something and they see a meme they see coming something comes through that affirms what they believe they will very often and I've certainly been subject to that as well I'm I'll, I'll like it I'll forward it I'll click on it without necessarily checking the source and then s- suddenly and it's because it confirms my bias mm-hmm. right it's a confirmation of my bias so I I just forward that on without saying, hold on, wait a minute. Is that factually accurate? How do I, how do I find out? And that's where in classrooms, helping students have these kinds of conversations, but couching them in evidence and teaching students the skills of how to do that. That's what we've got to do, you know, and it's hard work. I mean, democracy is hard work. You know, that's the, you know, when Winston Churchill talks about, um, systems of government. And he says, you know, democracy is the worst form of government, you know, in history with that, with the possible exception of every other form of government. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the reality is this is, this is hard. It's, it's, and that's where, you know, it's in some cases a lot easier when you just have people, especially if you, people you agree with kind of stepping up and being uh, in charge, but that's not how it works in this country. We, we, the people means everybody. Um, and that's what students need to understand. They have to step up as citizens, as community members, civically engaged in in their futures. And we in schools have to help kind of model model that response. And it's hard work and it's complicated and we don't do it well enough ourselves. I mean, think about how yeah. many of us have these fears about what's going to happen at our Thanksgiving dinner table (laughs) when we had to sit down with people with whom we disagree. Right. Right. Well, the, the the beautiful thing is that in public education, in a classroom of diverse people, you have an opportunity as a classroom teacher every day to have that Thanksgiving table conversation. Every Mm -hmm. day you have people with, who are from different areas, different, backgrounds, everybody has a bias, everybody, and that's okay. But we, we bring those kids together in this beautiful experiment called public education, because we have a civic mission in schools. And that civic mission is to help students navigate through what we want 
our students to be capable of, the skills they're going to need if they're going to go to a board meeting or if they're going to if they're going to run for office or if they're going to make um, a voting decision, that those kinds of responsibilities as citizens, we practice and we practice them with the best practices we have. And that means evidence. It means civil dialogue. It means listening to one another. It means looking at multiple perspectives. And that's something that can happen in a social studies classroom, but it can also happen in a language arts classroom. Sure. And it can happen in arts classroom. And it can happen in PE. I mean, there are, you know, like, I mean, I think kids get that there can be multiple viewpoints on a certain issue. They can, they just say, well, what was the, the call that the ref just made on that football game? Give me a break. Come on, Denny. what's easy blind, you know, but it's like, well, of course, I mean, even there, your confirmation bias is going to be based on whether your team is wearing blue or it's, right. whether it's wearing red, you know? Yeah. Um, and so those are, these are not abstract concepts for kids to get. They understand it. I mean, I think that what we, we have to do is um, help teachers know that it's a safe, it's not only is it should be, it, it, not only should it be safe for teachers to engage in this kind of work with their students, they really have an obligation to do it. Yeah. I've had some teachers tell me, you know, uh, immigration. Oh man, in my classroom, I've got some of my students who are saying, build that wall. And I've got other students saying, um, you know, I'm worried about whether my family is going to get deported when I go home from school. Mm -hmm. And so because of that kind of fraught division within the very classroom, I've had teachers say, you know what? I'm not going to talk about immigration this year. Yeah. And I'm like, if you don't, who will? Yeah. And so that's where we have to help teachers develop the kinds of skills to make it a safe, a safe conversation. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought that up. And that's one of the reasons I was so happy you were able to come and talk with us. I saw an email you sent out to your listserv, and you made reference to something called the Better Arguments Project. And I guess in a way, I was reflecting on how we as educators have just naturally found ourselves trying to spend more time on the tested subjects, because that's what we're graded on. And I think right. in our state, because history or social studies is not one of those subjects, it has kind of fallen to the wayside a little bit. And that whole civic character education isn't as prominent as it maybe was in the past. So going back to that email, you had made reference to something called Better Arguments Project. And, and I really was intrigued by it. And, and I wanted you to share a little bit about why you think something like that could be a little thing that could happen in a school to help right. ease that tension, I guess, that's taking place. Right. I mean, in this case, I mean, I think Allstate is one of the underwriters. I mean, it's not enough, I'm not making a plug for insurance here, but I'm just saying that it's a very, um, I think that there are many people who care about civic life who know that we have, we have got to figure out how to help kind of work that, that cognitive muscle in our brains that says, how do we know that that's necessarily true or not? And what, and, and also um, perspective taking, you know, I think that one of the things that we want to build with folks is some levels of empathy. Mm -hmm. we, we've got to be able to, you know, when you think about even Stephen Covey's work about seeking first to understand, you've got to really help 
you know, students kind of say, well, why, why would somebody argue that? What is, mm-hmm. I mean, people hold these very dearly held beliefs. How can we help kind of understand that first, maybe see where they're coming from, get to some, I mean, cause I think for many Americans, this, the kind of tradition of gridlock in this country politically is just, it's just really troubling when we have major major issues that we're trying to address, whether it's, you know, infrastructure or the pandemic for, for heaven's sake, or, you know, whatever that, that we've got a real opportunity to, to think about um, resources like better arguments. Um, You know, the other thing that I mentioned was I've got a, an amazing colleague in Illinois who's um, she's put together so many um, resources in Illinois for her civics, a civics coalition. She's created um, and worked with the McCormick Foundation. It's funny because the McCormick Foundation has nothing to do with McCormick Spices. It's the <laughs> family that was in charge of the Chicago Tribune, I think. So, so they've they they really understand the importance of free speech and the and the importance of of civic life and civic engagement. And she. Um, the Illinois Civics Organization, she put together a whole bunch of arguments um, and, and pages and resources for um, teachers to look at for the, the period after the election. And one of the first things she said is, you know, kids are going to come in after the election with, again, varying opinions. Well, I don't care which election it is, whether it's the governor or whether it's student body officers or whether it's that you're going to come in with winners and losers in that classroom and you need to help them process that, you know, somebody wins and somebody loses in an election, but we can still be friends and we can still move on. And, you know, that's the, that's the, the argument Um, in the, in the arguing better, you know, I mean, the, the, the better arguments piece really helps people understand. And this is why I love it so much because it, a lot of arguments that we're having today are rooted in history. They're rooted in history. There's, it's like, you know, our, our social studies standards really encourage teachers and students to understand that some of the issues we're facing today um, that seem, you know, like just so current and, and, you know, like of the moment have been with us for centuries. Um, whether it's you know enslavement and, and 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 racism, or whether it's the struggle for women's rights, I mean we're celebrating 150 years of women being able to vote in the state and 100 years of of women's suffrage. Um, and there are still issues that women face. There are still issues of equity. There are still issues. So we we look at history. We look at thinking about it from emotional emotional intelligence. Better arguments looks at really understanding where and how power resides and and helping students kind of understand systems of power, authority, and governance. If they're going to think about making a change, for example, let's say they want to propose that there's too many people driving too fast in front of our school and it's not safe. We need to lower the speed limit. Well, you don't don't call the president about that. There's probably a zoning committee that meets on Mm -hmm. Thursdays in building 12 at 2 o'clock and helping students understand where power resides so they know, oh, it's the school board. I mean, I, I, one of the things that's really interesting is um, I've been talking with a high school student 
and she has a proposed legislation legislative idea that she's trying to trying to run this session that would allow 16 and 17 year olds to register to vote in Utah hmm. only to be able to vote for their local school boards if their local school board agrees kind of like a training wheels you know yeah. like here's some here's cuz there's some skin in the game for the students they're in this case these um, school board decisions have a direct impact on their lives and so it's an interesting idea yeah. i mean mm-hmm. but but the the idea of this um, the idea behind this arguments piece i have this really cool kind of visual that i've seen teachers use where they're holding their fists very close to their heart because very often our the arguments we make are very very close to us and what this teacher does is she visualizes helping take those fists that are right up next to them, connect those fists together, but then push them out a little way away from your body so that you can kind of look at from all angles and kind of distance yourself from some of the deep Mm -hmm. emotionality and just realize that, you know, good people can disagree with us and we don't have to demonize them. Right. You know? Right. And and if you don't mind, I'm going to jump in and say I'd like to take it to a different level as well. Uh, A lot of our listeners are in leadership positions in schools. And I was talking with a principal who was sharing some concern because this principal didn't know how to address a challenge that was happening in in the school this week because there were some teachers who were expressing concern that the media was not representing what took place at the Capitol accurately, according to that principal's perspective, and that it was, you know, just another form of, of you know, coercion or fake news. Um, and so that principal was like, I, I don't even know how to address it with my staff. And I'm curious how how you would recommend leaders um, move move into that space, not even with students. Now we're just talking between, you know, leadership and, and teachers and staff. Yeah. I think again, just like what a good teacher, I mean, a, a good classroom teacher is first of all going to listen and listen to the students and, and try to see what questions they have that the, a leader, um, a leader is going to listen to what, concerned staff have um, and pose those questions, I would think, to say, how how do we address this? What do students need? What's going to be best for them? But I think we have to also think about having some guiding principles that are kind of center our work as educators. And we think about, for example, the portrait of a graduate documents that are at the State Board of Education that talk about respect, critical thinking, civic awareness, um, collaboration, being able to make evidence-based decisions. And again, some of this takes some courage. I mean, I think that we, um, one of the things that is challenging is um, people get in, rise up into positions of authority and that they sometimes can get, um, kind of paralyzed by that Mm -hmm. um, authority rather than leading out. They kind of keep deferring to, well, let me get 
approval from somebody somewhere. Um, and I, I mean, I totally understand that. I totally, I totally get that. But I think that grounding your, um, the conversations you have in very specific outcomes, we want students to be able to cite evidence. We want students to be able to know that they're safe. We want students to be able to know that they, that there are moments in history, whether it's 9-11 or, I mean, there's some people were talking about this and not in those kinds of terms of just being so heartsick um, about what they're seeing, that it's, you know, people, kids pay attention and they, they want to know whether something should rise to the attention of educators and whether it's, it's worthy of conversation in the schools. Mm-hmm. And in this case, this is an event that really is worthy of attention. Um, so even you know, teachers, we, we, even teachers who don't mention anything at all, are obviously communicating to their students the value right. that they're I mean, placing you know, on that. Or you yeah, know. I mean, there's there is something about the sin of omission. You know, when you yeah. just don't talk about something. And I, I mean, I think you have to. There's not a one one size fits all because you know some teachers are going to. You know, first of all, the first thing I do is trust educators and trust their professional judgment and trust that they know their context with their students at whatever age they're at. So that's number one. But I think that um, there is something about being able to um, remind students what it is that you stand for and what we stand for as a country and what we stand for when we get to some of these kind of central um, seminal documents, you know, that's where I go back to the civic mission of schools. We're not, we're all in this together and we, we aren't just math teachers. We aren't just PE teachers. We are instructors of the character and civility of all of our students. And, and that's where, you know, it becomes, um, again, that obligation. Yeah. you know, I mean, I think that it's um, sometimes it's easier to to say nothing, you know, and that's. I mean, I get that. I I certainly get. I I get the kind of trepidation at some point that some people might face. I think that the bigger thing for me is that um, you have to divorce. Sometimes d- divorcing some of the levels of partisan politics is really critical. It's like we're talking about grounding principles here, not partisan politics. When we mm-hmm. talk about um, no one, no one, no one would ever say it's okay to riot in the Capitol building. No one would ever, I mean, that's just, we don't teach that in school. We certainly don't allow students to just barge into the principal's office mm-hmm. and put their feet up on their desk. You know, that's, we don't do that. It's not what we do. Yeah, and I like I like your your approach to sort of interest convergence with teachers in terms of even if their politics may be different, you know, what can we agree to? All kids need to be safe, all kids yep. need to feel safe, all kids need to critically think about issues that are going on. Yep. And so really grounding it in that rather than the partisan politics of it all, right. I think might be a way for that principle that you were talking about, Tracy, to yeah. find a way in. Right. And that, you know, Robert, throughout this conversation, you've talked about things that I think everyone does agree on. Empathy, dialogue, yeah. mm-hmm. listening, the ability to disagree, bringing in 
what you know you consider to be evidence. Um, I think if we do find ways, those could be the little things that we try to weave more into our schools uh, as we're trying to support our students through and our teachers, you know, through this time because I think they've been feeling nervous and what do they say and how do they discuss it and I think you've given us some good ideas. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, anybody who says that education isn't rocket science has never been in (laughs) school, right? Right. It's tough. It is tough. And um, it does take, at some points, basically daily, if you're a principal, uh, it takes some courage. And I think that, you know, again, when I go back to thinking about um, Governor Cox's comments about we can't we can't live in a republic where there isn't basic trust in the institutions that bind us together. Yeah. And if we can't help sustain that, then we're, we're in big trouble. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of faith and a lot of hope in this generation of young people. And I believe that we are teaching them some real skills, but I also feel that in the media landscape that we live in, um, it's so easy to have that echo chamber where we only hear, you know, one, one very mm-hmm. logarithm, the, the algorithm that they know right. um, w- will make us click. That, on comfor- that link, confirmation you know? bias that you were talking about right. earlier. Hey, Robert, we always ask our guests a closing question. We always, you know, ask them if they could go back in a time machine and, and talk to their younger self, what advice would they give? Do you have any thoughts about that? You know, if you could talk to a younger Robert Austin, what, what would you say? Mm, I would tell that younger Robert Austin, especially as a classroom teacher, um, to, <laughs> smile more and talk less. Um, <laughs> let, the, let the let the kids do the talking and the thinking and and just and I I would say that um, for me as I think back to my role in education, especially as a classroom teacher, just knowing that even the smallest of kindnesses can have a huge impact on the lives of kids. And just, mm. just to do more of that, step in more often, just to even remark that that child has a a great new spring in her step, or that he's oh, I really like that jacket. I don't ca- I don't care what it is, but there's certain certain elements of kindness that just have have transformative impacts on kids. And I think that's what educators and 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 all of us need to remember a little bit more, especially in these days. Well, Robert, we really appreciate you jumping into our call uh, so that we could at least have a dialogue, share with our listeners about here are some things to think about as we move forward during kind of a tense time in our in our country. And we recognize that students and faculty alike are coming to this public space, right? This education, this, this place where we have been asked to learn and, and to grow and it comes with sometimes some challenges and when people are disagreeing or they have different experiences or they've seen things that have been frightening, we appreciate the guidance you've given us today in how do we help move to, through, and past this um, in a place that makes us better. So thank you. Thank you, Robert. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Take have care. A, have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.